You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, turning your Bibles to Luke 11, Luke chapter 11 tonight, and uh, we'll be in our second sermon this week on prayer, and last week we, uh, we began a series, and I'm not sure how long it's going to last. Um, it depends on how hard you pray, I guess, um, and uh, I know for myself it's something that I have needed to just really delve into. For my own, in my own personal life, uh, just to make just a major on prayer, and I don't think that we can pray too much, uh, but sometimes we don't pray correctly, and uh, I'm hoping that as we go through this, that it would be a help to us to just uh, to know how to pray, to know what to pray, uh, even to know why to pray, which is what we'll be looking at tonight. And then we'll be looking through these verses here, the first four verses of Luke 11, uh, to find out what Jesus Christ said would be our model prayer. And uh, we'll be in the first few verses of Luke 11. So if you're there, uh, let's stand together and we'll take our Bibles, turn to Luke 11, begin reading in verse 1. We'll read the first four verses here, Luke chapter 11, 1 through 4. Luke 11, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. By the way, uh, it's important when we pray to have habits in prayer. And Jesus Christ, it says, prayed in a certain place. And based on the evidence of Scripture, it seems like the Lord had places and times that he would pray. And I think it's important for us to think about doing the same thing. Certain places, certain times, same place, same same time every single day. And that's how you develop a habit. Luke chapter 11, again, verse 1, it says, He was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so obviously, if they started asking questions once he stopped praying, they were listening to his prayer. And it it kind of blows my mind to think about hearing the, the Son of God pray to his Father. I would have loved to heard that. I wish someone was recording it just so we could catch a glimpse of what it sounded like for the Son of God to pray to God the Father. Verse 2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we'll, be, we'll end up praying right there. You may be seated. And we'll jump in tonight. I almost forgot. I wanted to mention too, I'm thankful um, for Brother Troy Swift. And some of his men were out this week. And, and these lights have been out for a while and it's hard to get to them. And uh, they've done a lot of work on the lights, both here and out in the foyer. And I just want to publicly praise the Lord for the work that's been put in, uh, especially leading up to e- a big day like Easter. And, uh, and speaking of that, and I was going to mention it at the end, but I might as well right now. Uh, we, have, we have some cards, some tracks that we've ordered uh, for Easter. They were supposed to be here about a week ago, but 
I think weather delayed them, like it delayed a lot of things. And so I'm going to just going to encourage you on your way out. We'll have some men at each of the doors uh, handing some tracks for, uh, for Resurrection Sunday. And as you walk out, just consider taking five, uh, five or so um, per person and um, inviting as many people as you can uh, before the service on Sunday. People are inclined to go to church on Easter. And uh, they are at Christmas time as well, but I feel like Easter maybe even more so sometimes. Uh, so just consider taking some, and, and I know for myself, I'm going to challenge just in my own life to pass out at least five. I'll pass out more than that, but if you would consider passing out at least five before Sunday. Um, the gospel wants to work its way into the heart of people that we come across, and there, we run across a lot of unsafe people all the time. Just last night, I was at the store, and I met a, a Muslim man named Saeed, and he was, he was from uh, Kenya, and he's just a very friendly, engaging man, and he even acted like he might would give it a try on Sunday. And I don't know that he will, but he was open to the idea, and uh, you know, they, they don't even believe that Jesus Christ um, is the Son of God. They believe that he's a prophet, and so for him to come on Easter when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be a big deal. So pray for Saeed, pray for others that have been invited, and then consider getting involved in that yourself by Sunday. Uh, so that's, uh, that was free. That was not part of the message tonight, so it can't count against me just yet. Um, last week we started about prayer, we, I, and I started by telling the anecdote, I think it's an anecdote, probably not a true life story, about these two Oklahoma churches that were praying for a a distillery to shut down in their little town. It was owned by an atheist, and uh, it, was, it was hurting the reputation of their town. So they began to pray that it would close down, and sure enough, it was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. Well, the insurance company came along, and they said, we won't pay for an act of God. So the atheist owner sued the churches, claiming that they were responsible for him losing his business. And the churches came back and said, hey, hey, wait, we had nothing to do with your business burning down. And the presiding judge opened the trial with these words and said, I find one thing in this case most perplexing. We have a situation here where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer. And the defendants, all faithful church members, are denying the very same power. And I find that to be interesting uh, because it's striking sometimes how small our faith is when it comes to the power of prayer. And I'm the same way. I, I mean, I have things that I pray for and I, and I hope that they'll happen and I, I want the Lord to, pray, to uh, answer my prayer requests. Um, but in the back of my mind, sometimes I struggle believing that it'll be answered the way I'm praying. And maybe that's too transparent for you. Uh, uh, you know, maybe you think that your pastor ought to have more faith. But, you know, flesh and blood just like you are. And I have the same kind of doubt sometimes. And, and I want to pray in faith. And I want to pray believing that God will answer my request. Um, but sometimes it's difficult to truly believe it. You know, we, even though we have history on our side. And we have a Bible full of examples. And we would all say, yes, I believe that the Bible's the word of God. And everything in the Bible is true. And... And we look at the miracles in the Bible and the way that God answered prayers for his people throughout the years. And we say, yeah, I believe it. I believe it's true. 
But when it comes time to my prayers to be answered, then I'm almost shocked sometimes when it happens the way I pray it. And yet I have all these examples of men and women of God who God came through when they prayed, and, and I should have more faith in that. You know, I mean, Luke eleven nine 9, later in the chapter says, Ask and it shall be given unto you. And we say yes, amen to that, but we're surprised when it happens. Now, Luke 11 begins with the disciples asking Jesus Christ to teach them to pray. And they ask him to teach like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And they said, teach us like John the Baptist taught his. And one thing that struck me as I was reading this week is I started considering the fact that some of these very disciples that were asking Jesus Christ to teach them to pray um, like John the Baptist taught his disciples, they used to be disciples of John the Baptist. I mean, there were a number of the disciples that followed Jesus used to follow John the Baptist. And so they had, they had seen John the Baptist teach his disciples. Maybe they had been one of the disciples that John the Baptist was teaching how to pray. And they said, well, John the Baptist taught us some really good lessons on prayer. And so they said, well, who better to teach us than the Son of God? Jesus Christ, would you, like John teaches his disciples... ...would you teach us to pray? And I can imagine after hearing him pre, uh, pray... ...they were thinking, I want to pray like that. I'd love to pray like Jesus. And if you think about it too... ...they have two fine examples of men... ...in John the Baptist and in Jesus Christ. Obviously, John the ba- Jesus Christ is very spiritual. He's the Son of God. But John the Baptist was a man... ...no person had ever been born greater than John the Baptist... ...spiritually speaking... He was filled with the Spirit as a baby in the womb. That's how spiritual John the Baptist is. And yet he prayed. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, had, uh, who didn't have to pray... ...we have to think that his communication with, with his Father could have come in any form. But here's another man, John, Jesus Christ, who prayed. And if those two men, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, as spiritual as they are... If they needed prayer, then who is Jason Jett to ever say that I don't need to pray? John the Baptist prayed. Jesus Christ prayed. And I feel like prayer in my own life is what I need the most right now. I have not come in to Eastside Baptist Church thinking, um, oh, we're going to implement new programs and we're going to have new methods and things are going to come in and there's going to be fresh ideas and um, you know, I, I can revamp this and rework this. And there may be some things that change just because of my personality or, or the way that I lead. But honestly, I don't come uh, pro- thinking that I can provide answers. I come recognizing the fact that if we could do everything else, all the latest and greatest ideas. But if we as a church don't pray, then we don't have God's power in this place. And we might as well close the doors. It's not a social program. This is not a club like you go down the street and join a club and pay your dues. No, this is, this is God's house. And the Bible says it should be a house of prayer. And as a pastor, I need it. And I think about the disciples here. They were asking for help praying, and we should too. So Jesus Christ gives them a prayer. And, and, and a lot of people call it the Lord's Prayer. But I don't believe we should call it the Lord's Prayer. I believe we should call it the Disciples' Prayer. Because Jesus Christ was teaching. They said, teach 
us. And remember, our series that we were going through a couple of weeks ago about discipleship. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a pupil. A disciple comes saying, teach me, teach me. And that's what these men are. They're learners. They're disciples. And that word teach is disciple, to train. And they're asking Jesus Christ to help them be even more disciple-like, to be even more Jesus Christ-like, which is what a disciple is supposed to be. And so he takes the time to give them a rough outline. Now, uh, a lot of people think that he gives them a prayer to recite, but I don't believe that's the case. I, uh, I believe that he's giving them a fish. He's not, or, no, I believe he's teaching them to fish, not giving them a fish. If you know that anecdote, you know, if you teach him, or give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. I believe that Jesus Christ is, is teaching his disciples how to fish. He's not saying, okay, say this prayer and recite this and you'll suddenly unlock the keys to access to God. No, he's saying, here's a model. Here's a template. Here's a rough outline. And, and besides, we know that Jesus Christ, uh, this isn't a prayer that he wants them to recite because he recites it. Um, it's not for him. Why would he have to ask for forgiveness? Why would he say, forgive us our sins? Jesus Christ this is not his prayer, it's for the disciples. So they say, Lord, teach us to pray. What do we need to learn about prayer? Well, we started last week talking about how we learn to pray. And we learn to pray usually by example. And I think about my children repeating words that I use and they have no idea what they mean. You know, and I think I used the example last week of my son or my daughter saying, Dear Heavenly Father... She, a hamily father. I don't know what a hamily father is, but that's what they used to say. They didn't know the words, they just heard us praying. And I usually start my prayers with dear heavenly father. And so they just heard it and they started repeating it. Or, or we heard other people in our lives pray and we just kind of follow their examples. And a lot of guys can get up and they can be all churchy in their prayer and they change their voice and they use Shakespearean language. And so we sometimes try to model that or mimic that. And I'm not going to try tonight because I just can't do it very well. But we, we learn to pray in, in ways we, we're caught, we kind of catch the prayers. We catch the ways that people pray. Uh, and that's how we learn to pray. But it's not necessarily accurate. Or maybe sometimes we, we pray based on what we think God will bless. And we have a certain view of God. And we think, well, these are the things he blesses. So I'm going to pray like this. But maybe our view of God is, an, is not accurate. And maybe we need to go back to the expert, Jesus Christ. You know, prayer is not a vending machine. It's not like you just walk up to it and you put your coin in. And if you push the right buttons, it's just asking and receiving. No, prayer is communion with God. Prayer is communication with the Father. And in the same way that you have fellowship with someone that you love, you don't just walk up to them and say, give me my food for the day. Thank you, and walk away. I mean, that would be an empty relationship if my children, all they ever wanted from me was to walk up and say, give me my necessary provisions for the day, thank you, and then walked away like a robot. I mean, that's not what Jesus Christ is, it wants from us. He wants communion. Prayer is talking to God. It's not just asking him for our needs or standing impatiently for what we want or putting the coin in and we push the button and he just gives it to us magically. That's not what prayer is. That's not how to pray. 
So what do we pray? Well, we have a tendency to pray for things sometimes that seem important to us, but they may, may not be really what we need. See, as an overview of Luke 11, um, there's a commentator, Warren Wearsby, and he writes all kinds of good, um, good commentaries on books and, and uh, in the New Testament, Old Testament, both. He lumps all these requests into three categories, which I, I like this. He lumps them into material and physical provision, moral and spiritual protection, or perfection, I should say, and divine protection and direction. So when I say, he, he says, one category is material and physical provision, that would be the daily bread. So we know that it would be within God's will for God to take care of our provisions. And I pray for that sometimes myself. I pray that God takes care of our physical needs. It's perfectly appropriate to pray for that. So he says the categories here are our physical material provision, our moral and spiritual perfection. And that just means that we're asking God to change us from what we are to what we're supposed to become. And that begins in, in our worship of God, our recognizing who he is and who we are. And he says, hallowed be thy name. It also, our perfecting or our, our changing of who we are, it takes place as we surrender. And he, he talks about Jesus Christ says, thy will be done. It also, we become more like Jesus Christ. It, it, we are perfected as we practice forgiveness with other people. So it, part of our prayer life should be that, that Jesus Christ, um, his model says that we should be changed. We're asking God to change us. And I don't know if you're like me, but I need lots of changing. I'm certainly not morally perfect. I'm certainly not spiritually where I want to be. So the third category is divine protection and direction. And protection, I think about the fact that he uses the word father. And I, I plan to preach about this next week, but what a great term, father. You know, I mean, that's how we should view our prayer time with God. He's our father. And there may be some in here who doesn't have a good relationship with their father or didn't have a good example of, of what a father should be. But he says it's our father, meaning this is the heavenly father to all of us. And even if our father wasn't what he was supposed to be, you're not saying, um, yes, you, that's like my earthly father. No, you're saying, you're my heavenly father. You're the father the way a father's supposed to be. But for those of us who had spiritual fathers, and I did, and I'm so thankful for that. I had a man of God in my home who raised me. And, and I think of God when I think, well, I think of my father when I think of God. The, the, trade, the traits and the characteristics of my father, I, I kind of attribute those to God. And I think about how my father protected me as a child. He provided for me. He, and it says, deliver us from evil. You know, he, he says, pray for protection and then pray for direction. As a father, I remember many times holding his hand when I was afraid. And, and I trusted him to lead me in, in the paths that would be safe for me. Lead us not into temptation, he says. We should not approach um, God like he's just our best friend and we're just kind of hanging out and I'm going to go chill with God for a while. No, there's a reverence there as our father. And I love those categories. Again, material and physical provision and moral and spiritual protection, then divine, I'm sorry, perfection, then divine protection and direction. 
And I just thought that those resonated with me. I love how he summarizes those. Wearsby did. But do your prayers fall into those categories? Are you praying for provision? Are you praying for perfection? Are you praying for protection? Or is it all about me, me, me? Because I know for my prayers, sometimes it can be all about me, me, me. And honestly, I think most of us pray to align God's will with our desires instead of us asking him to align us with his desires. And I, 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 want you, I want to say that again, maybe say it in a different way. But the purpose of prayer, and this is important tonight, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. And I believe that very often we pray in such a way that we're trying to get God to tweak what he's doing to align himself with our will rather than just simply starting with God, align me to your will. That's where prayer begins. It does not begin with us getting God to do what we want him to. This is not a matter of manipulation. Prayer should not be our attempt to, let, to tell God what we want so that we can enjoy whatever he gives us. It's asking God to accomplish what he wants so he's glorified. So his kingdom is advanced and so his will is done. You know, I, and I, I was thinking as I was studying for this, I was thinking, well, I wish somebody would invent a prayer filter so that before I actually pray it, um, maybe it would filter out all the things that are selfish. It would filter out all the things that I'm trying to be manipulative about. It would filter out all the things that would not align with God's perfect will. I wish there was a filter. That way I could be sure the result of my prayer glorifies him and that his will is done and that his kingdom is advanced. And, and I, want, I, I wish there was a filter. I, if I make one, I'll, I'd like to sell it. You know, I think probably a lot of us would want a prayer filter so that we could kind of filter all those things through. It'd be interesting to have a filter so I could see how much of my prayer requests actually make it through the other side. I'd be interested to see of the things that I pray for, if I push them through this filter, how many of them come out the other side and they're still intact? They're still valid prayer requests. And I was thinking in my office today, I wish there was a filter. And then I realized, wait, there is a filter. And that filter is the word of God. And you say, what? I don't really understand. Well, think about it. How do we learn about God? How, do we, how does he reveal himself to us? How do we know what he likes? How do we know what he prefers? How do we know his nature? How do we know what his will would be? Well, we have a filter already. And here I am in my office as a pastor... Um, trying to rack my brain for something that would be a great answer to the prayer filter. And it's sitting on my desk. It's open on my desk. The filter's right there. So the more familiar that we are with the word of God, the more we know about God. And the more we know about God, the more we will know how to pray for things that align with his character and his will. We forget that the word of God should be an important part of our prayer life. And I'm going to illustrate it like this. Let's say that you want to buy a gift for someone. And I'm going to use my wife as an example. Um, because I have failed in this way many times. You're going to buy a gift for someone. I'm going to buy a gift for my wife. So I would not. I mean, some of you do this, but I don't recommend it. I would not get on Facebook and take a survey of all my friends on Facebook. I mean... 
Um, I would not go to uh, our neighbors. We haven't met them yet. I, would, I wouldn't even go. I mean, and no offense, but um, for those of you that don't know my wife as well, I probably wouldn't go to many people even in this room because we don't know you well enough yet. You probably wouldn't be able to tell me what she likes. So if I'm going to buy a gift for somebody, I'm going to go to the people they know the best. And I'm probably, first thing, I'm going to go ask my mother-in-law. And I'm going to go have to, have to find her phone number because it's not on my phone. No, just kidding. I love my mother-in-law, by the way. That's my first mother-in-law joke as a pastor. So this is a, this is a big mark, landmark right here. I'd probably go ask her mom. I'd ask... Um, if, you know, I'd ask her family members. I'd probably honestly go to my children because they're around their mom a lot and they know what she likes and they, they, know, they definitely know what she doesn't like too. I mean, they know my wife well and I, I would go to her, some of her better friends, her best friends, and ask them. And I would ask the people that know her best what she wants, what she would like, what, what, what she's interested in. And, and honestly, for those of you trying to find gifts for a woman, I, I probably ought to just say this, don't ask her husband. <laughs> because sometimes I have failed in this one a lot. And I think, oh, I've got this. This is a great gift idea. And then I look back thinking, what in the world was going through my mind? I'm, you're, I'm better off getting on Pinterest than I am trusting my own instincts, I think, sometimes. But you know, the same is true with God and that if you want to know what's important to him you have to get to know him you have to know what what he prefers you have to know what what reflects his character what reflects his will and the only way to truly get to know God on that level is to open his book and find out what aligns with his character find out what aligns with his will you know, I would never ask a stranger what my wife wants for her birthday. I would need to know what she likes and what she prefers and what she's interested in and what kind of things, you know, make her happy. Well, when we go before God to pray and we don't have a clue about the things that he likes and the things that he prefers and what his character is like and what his nature is like, then we are praying for things that can't possibly align with his will. We must get to know God. Our filter in prayer is the word of God. John 15, 7 says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So understand, again, he says, If ye abide in me, if you have a, a relationship... And my words, the words abide in us. I'm going to put me in there. So if Jason Jett abides in Christ, and Christ's words abide in Jason Jett, then Jason Jett can ask what he wants, what he wills, and it shall be done unto him. But what's the qualification there? The qualification is that God's word abides in me. So that I'm not just praying for random things because I like it. You know, I've heard of Christians justifying sinful behavior because, well, I prayed about it. And you've probably seen this too. 
You know, I've seen Christians marry someone unsaved or even someone backslidden that has no interest in God because they prayed about it and they think that God gave them a green light because they prayed and said, God, I will witness to this person and I'm going to win them to the Lord. And as, as valiant as that seems, it can't be true that God answered that request in an affirmative because he very clearly, it would violate a, a very clear principle of his word for him to say, yes, you're saved and yes, they're unsaved, but you can get married. It would violate a very clear principle that says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so if you know enough about God to know that principle about God, then you wouldn't pray that way. Because it's not what God likes. And I know that's a trite way to say it. No, it's not what God likes. No, I should, technically, it, that would go against his very character. It would go against his nature that a child of his would be yoked with an unbeliever. I, I've, I've talked to men and they've sat across my desk from me in my, in my ministry experience and have said things like, I know that God wants me to move my family to this city and I will say, okay, well, is there a, a church, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church that you're comfortable with in that city before you just move there? Is there? And they say, well, no, there's not. But this open door, I mean, literally like doubling my salary and we'll be able to have an influence wherever we end up going to church. And I'm thinking, uh, there's no way that you really prayed that request and God answered it in the affirmative because it violates his character, his nature when he says in Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And that principle would trump your prayers. And I'm not trying to be mean about it. I'm trying to be passionate to help us to see that we must pray according to God's character. ...according to God's nature... ...because he very clearly lays out his character for us... ...in his word. And for us to then turn around... ...and pray for something that violates his nature... ...and then to say, well, God answered it in the affirmative... ...I'm sorry, but I have the word of God to stand on... ...and back me up to say, I don't believe that's true. If we knew God's word... ...if this became our prayer filter... ...I think it would sometimes... Maybe more times than not, start to pray the, or change the way that we pray. And I've seen situations like this happen over and over. And I have to think if God's people knew him better, they would know what to get him when they're trying to find a gift. In other words, they would know what to pray for because they know what he likes. They know what he prefers. And I've bought some really bad gifts for people. Thinking, oh, this is going to be good. They're going to really like this. And as soon as they open it and you can see it on their face, it's just very embarrassing, isn't it? On, on our wedding night, you know, Aaron, and I, we'll have to tell you about our story sometime. But we were good friends in college and just basically just friends. And we liked to hang out. She was friends with my sister and we were just, we just hung out a lot. Well, I was getting down to graduation and and for about a year, I'd been thinking about her in terms of more than friends. Okay, if you can say it that way. But then she moved. I'm like, come on. You're going to ruin this for me. So over that whole year, my heart was yearning and longing and aching. And she didn't even know. And so 
she came back to Oklahoma for graduation. I was graduating for college with her brother, and, and she was there. And then I talked to her for the first time. So we had about a week together to kind of hang out again and, and think of it in terms differently than just, just friends. Well, then I went on tour with a, a music a traveling group, and she went back home to California. And so for that whole summer, we weren't even really together. And then on our first date, when she came back to Oklahoma after I was done, she came back to visit. On our first date, that night, I asked her to marry me. And she must have been under some hallucinogen because she said yes. Well, then she went back to California because she was teaching in a school there. And I was having my first ministry job. And so for that first year, again, we weren't, that, we weren't together. We were engaged, but I was working at a church and... She was serving at a school and, and going to church in California. And we saw each other a little bit. But honestly, we didn't really have much time together, you know, in, in a romantic fashion. So the first night, you know, that wedding night, I thought, well, I'm going to play this one up. And, you know, I'm going to, this is going to be great. So I called down room service and, and I said, okay, we're gonna, we were like some chocolate covered strawberries. Like who doesn't like chocolate dipped strawberries, Right. Okay, Pam Nelson, rebel, back there again. <laughs> I love chocolate-covered strawberries. I thought, that's so romantic. I'm going to get some chocolate-covered strawberries. And they brought them up to the room, and, and I saw her look at them a little funny, and I was like, oh, I, I'm, it's fine. She's just probably, you know, it's nerves and all this weird stuff going on, and she just got married, and, you know, well, come to find out, she hates strawberries. <laughs> And I spent like $24 on these things. That was a terrible idea. You know what? You know what? Now, though, after 18, almost 18 years of marriage, I wouldn't buy her strawberries because I know she doesn't like them. Before I knew, I went and ordered strawberries and she doesn't even like them. But that was before I really knew her like I do now. You see, before you know the Lord like you're supposed to, if you're not in your word, the word like you're supposed to be, you're probably praying for things that don't align with his will, that he doesn't prefer. Because who are we to think as human, sinful human beings with our nature that we have, that we're going to actually pray for things that God, you know, is, is okay with? Well, there's probably plenty of prayers that if I could look back on in my life, I'd be embarrassed you cannot truly pray in the way that you're supposed to pray as a child of God unless you're very familiar with your father. So who knew that a lesson on prayer tonight would be a, really a lesson on reading your Bible? It'd be a lesson on getting to the basics. If we're going to pray in a way that God is pleased with, then we better know what God is like. The word of God is our filter for prayer. Very often we filter our prayer through our friends and through this avenue and this avenue and, and through what we think that we want or what we think is best for us. And really all the time God's like, I don't even like strawberries. We've totally missed the boat. And it's really stood out to me tonight because I think a lot of prayers in my life have maybe even unintentionally but been on the verge of violating God's nature because it wouldn't be something he would be pleased with. Let's be careful. 
See, we need to, if we're to be good prayers, we need to be biblically literate. We better know what God's like before we really make a push to pray for things that he may not prefer. So evaluate. Filter your prayers. Filter your prayers through God's word because we don't want to pray for things that he doesn't prefer. And I hope that's a help to us tonight and a reminder. Let's, let's close in prayer quickly. Father, thank you for this truth. And I thank you for how you teach us and uh, you're willing to teach us just like your disciples. And tonight I'm just asking that you would help us to stop filtering our prayers through our own ideas and our own mentalities and, and maybe our own desires and start filtering them through your word. God, your word is our prayer filter. And I'm thankful that you went to the lengths to give it to us. I pray that you'd have it, help us to have the discipline to seek your word before we seek your face. And we know what you prefer. We know what your nature would, would, would be aligned with Lord, before we actually bring something to you. And God, I know there are plenty of times where we pray in ignorance and we pray things we don't even know what to say. I know that. But God, the more we draw closer to you, the more we should be considering your character in our prayer lives. So God, help us again tonight to be reminded of this filter that we have. I pray you bless our, the remainder of our time and our prayer time even here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.